You're listening to Center Church Podcast. At Center Church, we strive to keep Jesus at the center of everything we do. You're about to hear a message from our pastor, Matthew Edwards. But before you do, we want to invite you to visit our website at centercharlotte.org. There you can sign up for our weekly emails and receive new content as we release it. Secondly, we want to invite you to visit our pastor's blog at matthewedwards.cc. And finally, if this podcast ministered to you in any way, go ahead and subscribe and you'll be the first to know when we release more content in the future. Thanks for listening in and be blessed. Well, uh, let's dive into it. But before we do, let's open up in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning that you are here. Jesus, we thank you for all that you've done for us, all that you are doing and all that you will do. And this morning, Lord, we put everything that's bothering us, every every battle that we're trying to win right now, every bad report we've heard this past week from the doctor, Father, every um, everything that looks like it might be a problem, anything that would try to weigh us down this morning, Lord, we put it in your feet. In fact, better yet, we put it in your hands. Your hands are bigger. Your hands are capable. And this morning we rest knowing that your love for us will always win the battle. So this morning we thank you for all that you have done. And Father, I thank you for the supernatural peace that's resting on everyone in here in the name of Jesus, even right now. And Father, I thank you that no one came this morning to see me. No one came to receive from me. We've all come to receive from you. So Jesus, I thank you this morning that you will not disappoint, that everyone will walk out of here with exactly what you have prepared for them. Not what I prepared but exactly what you've prepared for them. And I thank you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. 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 So we're going to pick up with part two. uh, And we're going to pick up in Luke chapter 24. Now, I'm not going to be here very long. But again, I want to point out some things we didn't point out last week. And we're going to move on from here. Uh, Luke chapter 24. And again, if you remember the story, if you don't, I'll just go ahead and tell you. In Luke 24, Jesus has already resurrected. And now that he's resurrected, um, it's the third day after his resurrection third day after his death at the cross, and all the disciples are still struggling with the truth. Is he really alive? Is he not? Some of them have heard that he's alive, but not all of them believe it just yet. And so there's two disciples on the road to Emmaus. They're leaving Jerusalem, going to Emmaus. And while they're on the road to Emmaus, it says, while they were conversing and discussing together, Jesus himself caught up with them and was already accompanying them. But their eyes were held. Now, this is the Amplified Classic Edition. It says, but their eyes were held so that they did not recognize him. Now, I like this version uh, for that phrase alone, their eyes were held. What the Lord is trying to say is, hey, look, you could have, they could have seen him with their physical eyes, but Jesus hid their eyes. He blinded their eyes, so to speak, so that they could not see him for who he was in that moment. Now, we talk a lot about the power of seeing Jesus. What happens when you see Jesus? Uh, in 2 Corinthians 3.18, my favorite verse in the Bible literally says, we with unveiled faces beholding As in a mirror, the glory of the Lord, we are transformed by the Holy Spirit. And I've shared this thousands of times here. For years, we were always taught, this is how to be a good Christian. This is how to be someone God is proud of. This is how to be this person. And we were given the rules and we were given all the guidelines, our entire childhood, our entire uh, teenage years. Even when I was an adult, church was just the same thing, how to be a good person. And then one day, the Holy Spirit opened my eyes to 2 Corinthians 3, 18 that says, you can never transform yourself. It's utterly impossible. The only one that can transform you is the Holy Spirit. That addiction that you're struggling with is the Holy Spirit. That problem you have is the Holy Spirit. That, that, that person you're trying to be, only the Holy Spirit can make you into that person. So if you can't do it, stop trying to help and let him do it for you. That's the gospel right there, right? <laughs> and yet, at the end of the day, it's the Holy Spirit who makes the transformation. Now, our part, we're not going to pretend like we have no part. We have a part. But our part in the process is to behold 
as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord. In fact, in a mirror actually doesn't appear in most translations because in the original it's not there. Paul was saying, behold the glory of the Lord. Who is the glory of the Lord? Jesus. Jesus. And in fact, if you look at the context, he even says this. In the Old Testament, when they looked at Jesus, when they saw the Old Testament, they didn't see Jesus, so they couldn't be transformed. But now when we look back at the Old Testament, when we see Jesus, we are transformed into the same image that we see from glory to glory to glory by the Holy Spirit. So, for example, this morning, if you're if you're stressed out and worried about uh, something that could be happening, go back and look at Jesus and the Holy Spirit will transform you from where you're at to where you should be. Isn't that awesome? All right, you ready to go home? Just started. You know me better than that. So anyways, their eyes were held. Now, why would Jesus withhold their eyes? If seeing Jesus has all these benefits, why would Jesus restrain their eyes? And we said this last week, but I want to point it out again. So that they did not recognize him. Then beginning with Moses and throughout all the prophets, he went on explaining and interpreting to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning and referring to himself. Jesus. Sorry. Oh, that's the best Bible study ever. When Jesus leads the Bible study. And like you said last week, when Jesus has a Bible study, he doesn't talk about me. He doesn't talk about you. He doesn't tell you how to be a good person. What does he do? He talks about himself. <laughs> right? Now, again, he's not self-centered, but in a sense he knows he has to be self-centered so that you can get help. <laughs> That's the only way any of us get better is when Jesus says, look at me. And so what does he do? Don't put your trust in what you see. Put your trust in what the Bible says. He took my Bible. Don't put your trust in what you see. Now, I want to be very careful. Some people say, well, this was my experience. Don't put your trust in what you see. All right. God will step out the box. And I believe by the grace of God, he's going to blow our minds and what he can do and what he wants to do. Jesus blew everyone's mind. Because he took God from behind a veil and said, no, God wants to find everybody. God will go anywhere he can to get everyone that he possibly can. He's willing to do anything to get you because he loves you. But look, our trust should rest on the word. Are you with me? We need to see Jesus in the word. So it's better that you see him here than that you trust what you see here. Now, again, I'm not saying throw that out the window. But what I am saying is this. Make sure our confidence is first in the word. All right. First in the scripture. So Jesus could have opened our eyes, but it's more important to him that we see him in the scripture. Are you still with me? Now, let me show you this next verse. What was that? 15 and 16. Oh, I skipped ahead. That's why. I was like, there's a gap somewhere. That didn't make sense. So anyways, their eyes were held. They didn't recognize him. And then you skip ahead. It says beginning with this. He did all of that. Now, is everyone still with me? So again, we want to see Jesus. And notice, let's look at, because we're doing this series, I want to point out in the Old Testament, one of the things Jesus could have pointed out. Is that okay? All right. Beginning with Moses, Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Do you know what Jesus' favorite book in the Old Testament was? Do you know why? Ah, you cheated. (laughs) Fifth book of the Bible, grace. And yet, every time Jesus was tempted, he always quoted from Deuteronomy. Every passage he quoted from was from Deuteronomy. And it just so happened to be the fifth book in the Bible. Anyways. So here we go. We're going to go look at the Old Testament. Now, before we do, keep in mind, we're going to look at an Exodus. In fact, let's just go there. Let's look at Exodus chapter 26. Exodus chapter 26. So we're going to look at Exodus chapter 26. Now, Exodus 26, what's going on, just so you have the context, God is giving Moses the instruction about the tabernacle. Now, when we went to Israel, 
uh, we went to Shiloh, or Shiloh as they pronounce it. We went to Shiloh where Samuel uh, the prophet was when he heard the voice of God. He became the man of the hour uh, in First and Second Samuel. Here you see his story. Uh, but all that happened in Shiloh, what, what was going on. And while we were there in Israel, they had this whole... Um, compound set up where you could actually see these visual things where you could interact. They taught you about the high priest. They had this uh, movie theater that was like a the screen literally went from probably this side of the room to the other side and it curved. And we all sat down on like two or three rows, like a theater style. And you could see Shiloh, but it was a window. It wasn't a screen like this. It was actually a window. And behind it, you actually saw the real landscape of what you're looking at, what, what you could see on the other side of the window. But the projector made it look like what you were looking at was actually there. And so you could see the temple as it actually was because they found out where the temple actually stood in Shiloh. And so, man, it was just awesome. You got to go to Israel. But anyways, we were there and I actually had a video I was going to show you, but I couldn't find the video. I think I deleted it. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. But it was the most amazing video seeing how the Ark, the Covenant and all the things. And it showed you the tabernacle where the sacrifices were. And oh, man, it was awesome. So anyways. Uh, in Exodus, God is giving you the instructions about the tabernacle. And we're going to come to Exodus 26, where God is talking about uh, the boards that make up the tabernacle. Now, in the tabernacle of Moses, what we're looking at, in the tabernacle of Moses, none of the artifacts in there speak about us. Every single thing speaks about Jesus. All right. If you go look at, for example, you look at the bronze altar. When you walk in the tabernacle, uh, you walk in. There's four pillars. It speaks of the four Gospels of Jesus. Again, they speak of Jesus, not us. Then when you go beyond that, you see the bronze altar. Bronze, completely bronze. Bronze speaks of judgment. And the altar speaks of the cross where Jesus died. Has nothing to do with us. Yes, we bring the sacrifice, but the the furniture itself doesn't speak about us. Is everyone still with me? You go beyond that, you have the bronze laver where they would wash their hands, wash their feet. The water is running at all times. Yet, that again doesn't speak about us. It speaks about what Jesus would do for us. Are you with me? You go beyond that. You come to, um, I think, five more uh, columns. Again, speaks of the five Gospels. You go beyond that, that um, the, the gate or the door, whatever you call it, I can't remember. And then you come to the, the, the golden candlestick, the menorah, which speaks of the Holy Spirit. It's pure gold. Across from that, you have the table of showbread. It's wood overlaid with gold. But again, it speaks of Jesus. He is both the bread of life and he's the one presenting the bread. You look just beyond that, you have the altar of incense. Not, you see what I'm saying? And, and you go beyond the altar of incense, you have the veil. Beyond the veil, you have the Ark of the Covenant. That's all the furniture in the house, in, uh, in, the, in the tabernacle of Moses. None of that speaks about us. All of it speaks of Jesus. And yet, God gives us the honor of playing one part in the entire thing. You know what it is? You get to be the walls that make up all, where, where all the furniture is. We are the house of God, meaning we are like the walls in this room and everything in this room is God. Everything in this room is Jesus. Everything in the tabernacle screams Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. From the time you come from the door to the time you get to the back room where God himself is, we get to be the walls that make up where God himself is. Now, the cool thing about that is this. Let me show you. Um, Wood speaks of humanity. We talk about this a lot and I'm kind of touching on what we're all familiar with so that we can go somewhere. Okay. Wood speaks of humanity. And we actually saw acacia wood, which another word for acacia wood is um, shittim wood. Um, We went to the valley of, I don't remember, I'm not going to mess it up. Irrelevant. I actually saw when I had a picture of a tree I was going to show you. It was really cool. Uh, But that's not going to build the message for today, so we'll show you some other time. Anyways, in Exodus 26, verse 26, God says, You shall make bars of acacia wood, five for the boards on one side of the tabernacle, 
five bars for the boards on the other side of the tabernacle and five bars for the boards on the side of the tabernacle for the far side westward. Now, five, five, five. Interesting number, that number five. He says, the middle bar shall pass through the midst of the boards from end to end. Now, let me show you real quick. Can you stand with me real quick? So what happens is this. The Lord says every bar is going to stand beside each other. Now, again, wood speaks of humanity. So what you see is a wooden board, another wooden board, and the bar comes between them and connects all the boards together. Isn't that interesting? God wants, to see, wants you to see that we are all connected together. I may not like him because he smells bad most of the time, but we are still connected. All right. You get rid of him. There's a break in the wall. So we are always connected. Are you still with me? So anyways, what happened? That's the picture. Ah, I showed you too soon. Anyways, so the middle bar passes through the midst of the boards from end to end. He says this, you shall overlay the boards with gold. Can you say gold? gold? You shall overlay the boards with gold. Make their rings of gold as holders for the bars and overlay the bars with gold. God says, you make up my house. Therefore, I want you to be overlaid with gold. Do You know, gold is attractive. All right, let's, let's have just a moment straight from the teaching for a moment. Gold is attractive. All right. God is saying, I'm overlaying your wood with gold. I'm making you attractive. And everyone said, amen. not just the one or two. Everyone said, amen. All right. I had to say this over myself last night. Amen. You're making me more attractive. He says this, you shall overlay the boards with gold. Now, you know what happens with wood over time? Wood gets weathered. Wood can split. Wood can rot if you're not careful. Uh, if it rains in the desert, all right? The wood over time can start to rot, can start to decay. All those things speak of wood. It speaks of all of us. We can uh, become sick. We can become uh, uh, unhealthy. All these things can happen to us. So God says, I don't want to just have wood. I want to preserve the wood and I want to protect the wood. Are you with me? I want to preserve you and I want to protect you. So how does he do it? He covers you with gold. Literally, what I, when I looked it up, the word overlay doesn't mean have gold and then put the wood beside it. It means pour the gold on top of the wood. All the pores in the wood now have gold inside of the pores. The wood can never rot because the gold is in every single pore of the wood. I'm telling, and the only way you know there's wood is because God told you there's wood underneath. The only way the world should know that you're acting like a human is if somebody tells them. Because when Satan looks at you, I'm telling, when spiritual forces and darkness, when they all look at you, principalities and powers, when they see you, they cannot see the wood. All they can see is the gold. Are you with me? And that's the truth for every believer, whether you know it or not. Your enemy cannot see you. All he can see is the gold. Now, gold, even though it's valuable and it's awesome, what does gold represent in the Bible? The righteousness of God. Are you with me? Now, I know we're talking about seeing Jesus. We're looking at us. I'm going to show you in just a moment. But again, I want want everyone to see this picture. You can't see the wood. This is a diagram so we can see the wood. All of us can see it. But from the outside, and even this, this is silver at the bottom. No one can see the wood. Only God himself can see the wood if he chooses to look through. And God says, I don't want to see the wood. I want to see the gold. God covers you in his righteousness. His righteousness is covering you. And you know what? Again, the gold protects it and preserves it. God's righteousness protects you and preserves you. Are you with me? You know, when you look at the, um, the armor of God, I think it's, where is it, in Ephesians? Ephesians, when you look at the armor of God, of all the pieces of the armor, if you were a soldier wearing that armor and I was your enemy coming to attack you, what's the one thing I would see first before I saw anything else? Your shield, possibly if you're holding it up, but if you weren't holding your shield, what would be the one thing I would see before I saw everything else? Your breastplate. And it's called the breastplate of righteousness. Interesting. Interesting. 
Your helmet, small, but the biggest piece of armor that you would wear that would cover the most is your, which is your righteousness. Which not just covers the front, it also covers the back as well. They called it breastplate, but it covered front and back. Do you know that the high priest also had to wear a breastplate himself? And when he went in to do battle for the people, God doesn't say wear over your over your breast as a breastplate of armor. Instead, I want you to put the names of all the people over your heart. And when you come into the presence, when the high priest comes into the presence of God, the way he does battle is not like us. See, we wear the righteousness of God, right? Our righteousness is not our own. It's the righteousness of of God. So how do we win? We say, hey, it's not our right standing. It's his right standing. But when the high priest comes into the presence of God, he doesn't say it's my righteousness. He says, hey, look, they are the righteousness of God. Do you get it? We have his righteousness. He declares we are his righteousness. And when he comes into God's presence, God doesn't see a breastplate. He sees the heart of Jesus. And there he does battle for all of us. His love wins every battle for all of us. Pray with me. And we are the righteousness of God in Christ. Can you say that? I'll say, I am am. the righteousness righteousness of God God in Christ. Christ. Isn't that awesome? (laughs) And his righteousness protects you like a breastplate, but it also preserves you. You can't rot. You can't decay, whatever that means, right? You can't because the gold has been poured over you. Every pore has gold on top of it. You are protected. You are preserved because of the righteousness of another. Isn't that beautiful? You ready to go home? No. All right. Let's keep going. (laughs) Now, I want to deviate for a moment. Look at this in Romans chapter 1. All right? Look at this in Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, verse 16, a very common verse. One of those verses I had to learn in school. And the problem, I'll say this. The problem, if we're not careful, is I learned a verse in school so much that it kind of lost weight and value. And then one day, when grace was opened up, when when, when grace was kind of given to me, all of a sudden this verse began to make so much more sense. Now look at this. Paul says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. The gospel of who? I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Don't forget, gospel is good news. I'm not ashamed of the good news of Christ. All right? Now why not? For it is the, say the. The. I know some of the, no, say the. The. (laughs) The. Now is that a plural or a singular? Singular. Singular. I I know we're not English majors, but let me say this. Singular means the one and only. I'm not ashamed of the one and only, I'm sorry, the gospel of Christ, where it is the power of God. Now, I'm going to make a very bold statement. By saying it's the power of God means God has no power outside of this for you. Okay? Outside of this, God doesn't have any power for you. The power of God to salvation. Last week we saw salvation. I didn't want to have too many slides. Salvation in the Greek, soteria, which means wholeness, wellness, prosperity, well-being, uh, I mean, come on, everything you can, everything you need from God. Salvation is an all-encompassing word, meaning if you're sick, this is salvation. If you're poor, this is salvation. Are you with me? God's answer to every need is the word salvation. But notice, the gospel of Christ is the power of God to your wholeness. It's the power of God to your healing. Not just your healing, your health. It's the power of God for everything that you need. And who is it for? For everyone. Not just a few, but for everyone who believes. For the Jew first and also for the Greek. So for years, we stopped right there and said, yes, yes, believe. Just believe God, believe. And when people couldn't believe or they weren't receiving, we said, it's not, you're not believing enough. You have to believe more. So then we came up with the five steps of how to believe. <laughs> then we came up with the six reasons why you can't believe. And then we came up and finally someone wrote the book on the ten reasons why you're still not believing. All right. So, 
then it all comes full circle. And someone said, wait a second, wait a second. That's verse 16. What about verse 17? All right. For, and I put it in bold, for or because in it, in what? The gospel. In the gospel, the righteousness of God is. There you go. What gives a person the faith to believe when the righteousness of God is revealed? You see, when God's people don't believe that they're righteous, they have a hard time receiving. But when you know that you know that you know I'm right with God, but it had nothing to do with me. I am right with God. I am right with God. I am the righteousness of God on this earth. The faith will come. That's I'm, I'm you're the righteousness of God. And you know what? God's power to save you from every problem doesn't come from you doing more. It comes from you believing more and believing what? That you are the righteousness of God in Christ. And because I am right with God, not because of what I've done good and definitely not changed because of something bad I've done, because it's not my righteousness. Hey, guess what? Every time I need something, the power of God is present to do it. I just have to keep reminding myself I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. Well, Matthew, you don't act like it. Aren't you glad the righteous live by faith? (laughs) I like having the screen so close, you know, (laughs) aren't you glad that the righteous live by faith? Well, you don't look like you're righteous. You're absolutely right. But the righteous live by faith. (laughs) I just keep believing that I'm right with God and he takes care of the rest. Well, what about the people who take advantage of it? Let me, I can't answer for people who take advantage. But what I can tell you is this. The righteous live by faith. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. Yes. We don't act like it. It's not my righteousness. If it depends on how I act, then it's the righteousness of Matthew Edwards. But if it's the righteousness of God, then it depends on how he acted. And how he acted for me was, let me lay down my life and receive Matthew's sin so that Matthew can receive an eternity of my righteousness. And everyone said, are you the righteousness of God in Christ? Yes. Can you say it again? Say, I am, I am the, righteousness the righteousness of God, God in, Christ. in Christ. There we go. Now watch this. Let me fast forward a few, few chapters. What does righteousness mean? I hate when people give their own definitions of words. It's like, oh my gosh, don't do that. <laughs> God defines every word that you'll ever need to find in his, in his Bible. We talk about people who define, uh, interpret things in Revelation in a 21st century uh, context, and it drives me crazy. Anyways, my favorite one is this, thorn in the flesh. I still believe my wife is a not a thorn in my flesh. I'm joking. I'm joking. She's not here. She, I said, Lord, he said, my grace. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. I don't believe that at all. Old Testament, there's a, there's a verse that literally says, if you don't deal with these people, they will become a thorn in your flesh. And literally what he's talking about, he's not talking about a sickness or a disease. He's talking about people, yeah. <laughs> not, not your spouse, about people, they're, they're, they're actual enemies. All right. So I don't believe uh, my wife is a thorn in the flesh. And I don't believe sickness is. All right. So don't say, well, I'm sick. It's the thorn in my flesh. No, I, no. By his stripes, you were healed. Yes. So Romans chapter four, verse six. Now, Paul's going to define righteousness for all of us. OK, just as David also describes the blessedness in the Greek, the many blessings. Of the man to whom God gives righteousness apart from his works, apart from how good he is, apart from how bad he is. God doesn't grant righteousness to people who have paid for it. God gives righteousness to people who haven't paid for it. Are you ready? This is the definition. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. The Lord shall not impute sin. Oh, man, I love saying that. The Lord shall not impute sin. 
How does God define righteousness? Not by how you act, but by how you, how he, how he acts. He defines righteousness by saying, I'll never impute sin. I'll never impute sin. If sin is not being imputed to me, then I can't struggle anymore because I'm righteous. I know this is kind of a trend of thought. But again, just think about that for a moment and meditate on this this week if you can. God is not imputing sin to you. That means when something bad happens, all you have to do is go back to him and say, but Lord, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. Can a righteous man really be attacked when he's not looking? No. Can he be attacked when he is looking? No. <laughs> There's a verse that says, a righteous man may fall, but he gets up seven times. Let me say this. No matter how many times you get knocked down, stand back up and say it again. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. And just keep saying it. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. I don't care what is thrown at me. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. This will not be the end. And everyone said. Now, let me bring you to something. Mark chapter 11. I'm going to try not to um, spend too much time moving through verses, but I will be mindful of the time. What I want you to see is we're going to look at Jesus real quick. But I want you to see how Jesus demonstrates this. You see, what Jesus, when he was on, when he was having his earthly ministry, even though they lived with him for three and a half years, even though they saw him, they heard everything he said, they saw everything he did. At the end of the day, none of them really fully understood it. It was still they couldn't get it. And the reason why I say that is this. Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, says it said this. There's many more things I wish I could tell you, but I can't. But when the Holy Spirit comes, he'll reveal everything. So they just had to take it at face value. Jesus found a woman caught in adultery. And instead of judging her like the law said, he saved her using the law to save her. Isn't that crazy? Like, I mean, they saw Jesus do these things and they thought, well, they got him this time because the law says such should be stoned. And Jesus stands up and says, the first one without sin, throw the first stone. He won. How do you do that? Right. So they didn't understand everything Jesus did, but they had to take it at face value. Now, Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, said, there's so much more I want to tell you, but I can't tell you yet. But don't worry. When the Holy Spirit comes, he'll reveal everything to you. All right. Now, fast forward. Jesus has ascended. All of a sudden, the day of Pentecost comes. Fast forward a few more years. Paul comes and Paul starts preaching the grace of God. And that same time around the time that Paul is preaching the grace of God, the churches are sprouting up all over the world. Peter writes a letter to, uh, to some of the Jewish people who are struggling with Paul's teachings of grace. And they're like, what is he talking about? And Peter has to say this to his brothers, his Jewish brothers who understood the law. And Paul was preaching to the Gentiles who don't understand Jewish customs. But Peter writes to his Jewish brothers and said this, receive our beloved brother Paul, whose teachings are hard to be understood. Are you with me? Hard to be understood. Meaning what? Paul has something that the rest of us are still trying to get. Even though we lived with him for three and a half years, we still don't fully get it. But this man, Paul, for some reason, he seems to have gotten it. So receive our beloved brother, Paul. Are you still with me? So when Paul says things, Paul is saying, hey, look, this is what the rest of you who were there didn't get. But me, from this perspective, the Holy Spirit is showing me this is what Jesus was doing. Let me say this by the grace of God. Jesus was protecting them. He was preserving them. Righteousness protects and preserves. Are you with me? Gold protects and preserves the wood. Likewise, Jesus was trying to protect them and trying to preserve them, but they couldn't see it. They couldn't see it because their eyes were still restrained. So let me show you how Jesus does it. Let's look at Jesus. All right. Where are we at? Oh, mm, mm. I didn't mean to show you this one first. But since we're in Mark chapter 11, we'll do this. Can I show you something? Can I show you something about faith real quick? Let's just deviate. Let me show you something about faith before I show you some examples. In Mark chapter 11, it says, now the next day when they had come out from Bethany, Jesus was hungry. 
All right, this is God and man. Jesus is hungry. And seeing from afar a fig tree having leaves, he went to see if perhaps he would find something on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. Now, I want you to keep in mind, it was not the season for figs. Jesus was a Jewish man. He understood this is not the season for figs, but he's hungry. And it's not the season for figs. (laughs) So he didn't find any figs on that tree. In response, Jesus said to it, let no one eat fruit from you ever again. And his disciples heard it. Now, that seems a little unfair. All right. (laughs) If I go to an apple tree and it's not the season for plucking apples and there's no apples on that tree, is it the apple tree's fault? No. (laughs) Is it the fig tree's fault? It's not the season for figs. And yet Jesus curses the fig tree. Okay. Now, uh, the reason why I showed you this is this. Jesus, we all know, we, most of us know the end of the story. I'm going to show you in just a moment. But I want you to keep in mind, again, it was not the season for figs. But Jesus is trying to show all of us something greater. All right? He's trying to show all of us something greater. Have you ever heard that phrase, uh, you can speak to the mountain and it shall be cast into the sea? All right. Most of us have heard that. Let me show you how that happens. Jesus, this is in verse 14. We're going to skip ahead. After this story, he goes into the city. He turns over the money changers tables. He, he wreaks havoc and he says, my father's house will be known as a house of prayer, but you turned it into a den of thieves. And they go back out of the city. When they come back out of the city, we pick up at the next verse in verse 20. Now in the morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. So when Jesus spoke to it, he said, no one will eat fruit from you ever again. It didn't happen immediately. But when they came back the next morning, the tree had dried up from its roots. And Peter, remembering, said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered away. So Jesus answered and said to them, have faith in God. Now, wait a second. For assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done. He will have whatever he says. Verse 24. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. Now, again, this was used heavily in the Word of Faith movement to make people feel condemned. You were asking, but you didn't get it. You didn't believe enough. You didn't believe enough. You didn't believe enough. And God's people felt more condemned by the time they walked out than they did when they walked in. Are you still with me? You don't have it. It's because you don't believe enough. Believe enough. But wait a second. Jesus did something before he made this statement. What did he do? He cursed the fig tree. Now, what's the first time we see a fig tree in the Bible? Does anyone know? Or let me say this. Fig leaves. Adam and Eve in the garden. What did they do? The Bible says that they sinned and they saw themselves naked. And instead of saying, let's kill an animal to cover for our sins, they went and sewed fig leaves together and covered themselves with fig leaves. When God showed up, they had a bloodless religion. Are you with me? Bloodless religion, bloodless meaning instead of someone dying for my sins, I can work and atone for my sin, which is my own righteousness. But if it's the blood of the lamb that God slayed in their place, it's the blood, it's the righteousness of the lamb in my place. Are you with me? So when you see fig leaves, it's not the tree's fault. (laughs) But when you see fig leaves, what is God trying to say? What is Jesus trying to show us? Curse self-righteousness. Curse self-righteousness. Stop depending on what you can do. And when you curse your own righteousness, when you stop looking at how good you've been and God will respond to you, when you stop looking at how good someone else has been, that's why God responded to them. When you curse your own self-righteousness, I'm telling you, when you speak to the mountain, the mountain will be moved. And then he says this, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them. Why can I believe that I'll receive it? Because it's not my own righteousness. Do you get it? 
Again, if we just look at this verse and we say, well, you don't have it because you didn't believe enough, people feel condemned. But if you look at this verse and realize in context, curse my own self-righteousness and believe that is not based on me in the first place. When I believe that, oh man, why should I not get what I ask for when I pray? Why should God not bless me when I ask for it? Why should God not heal me when I ask for it? Because I'm the righteousness of God in him. And you see, you will have them. The words of Jesus himself. Now, let me show you this real quick. When it comes to protecting his people and preserving them, do you know that in the Old Testament, Moses, he led the children of Israel out of the wilderness. I'm sorry, out of um, out of Egypt. And for 38 years, exactly 39 years, he led them through the wilderness. We say it was 40 years, but Moses died on that last year. Joshua led them for the final year. And then they went. No. Moses led for 40. I'm sorry. Moses led them for 40 years in the wilderness. Now, while he led them, does anyone know the reason why he did not get to bring them into the promised land? Because he hit the rock. God told Moses, Moses, don't hit the rock. Take your rod and speak to the rock and water will come gushing out of the rock for you. But all the people were complaining and Moses got angry because they were complaining. And when Moses was supposed to speak to the rock, God would bring water out. Moses said, must we bring water out for all of you? I'm going to paraphrase you heathens. So you rebels, that's the word you rebels. And so he hits the rock. God loves his people so much. He gives water to his people anyways. All right. Which makes me terrified. God will bless you in spite of me. (laughs) So, so God says, all right, I'm going to give my people water because I love them anyways. Then he pulls Moses to the side. I'm paraphrasing. He pulls Moses to the side and he says, because you did not speak to the rock, you hit it. You don't get to lead them in. Now, he destroyed the shadow. He destroyed the type of Jesus Christ. The first time they came to the rock, they were thirsty. They said, let's kill Moses because there's no more water. And Moses said, oh, God, they want to kill me. God said, Moses, hit the rock and water will come out. Hit the rock. He said, I'll stand there before the rock when you hit it. Meaning it's a picture of Jesus at the cross. Jesus was hit for all of us and the water they needed. The supply came from Jesus. Are you with me? The second time they were thirsty, they're at the rock. And this time God said, Moses, don't hit the rock. Speak to the rock today. Jesus doesn't have to die for all of us anymore. Jesus doesn't have to suffer anymore for all of us. One suffering was good enough. Now we speak to Jesus. Water flows for whatever we need. Are you with me? So Moses speak. But he failed. He hit. He destroyed the picture. And God loved his people enough that even when the theology was wrong, his people were still saved. But the leader will pay for it. <laughs> That's why it's not a light thing to say, oh, I want to preach the gospel. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> it cost him. Now, let me say this. How does God protect and preserve? He pulled him to the side and said, Moses, you'll never get to lead them in. You can look at it from a distance, but this is as far as you'll go. Do you know when we were in Israel, we stood on the Mount of Transfiguration which is in the promised land. And who appeared on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus? Moses and Elijah. Yes, by the law, he was judged. He should not have been able to go in. But God's grace and God's heart. Now, Moses, I'm going to bring you in with my son. No, you didn't get to lead them in, but I'll let you come in with my son. Mm, Isn't that beautiful? I'm telling you, righteousness is not what you do. Righteousness is what Jesus did for all of us. Righteousness is God saying, I'll never count one of your sins against you ever again. Are you with, is, is, that's what righteousness is. It's God saying, I'll never count one of your sins against you ever again. Well, what if I don't act like it? I'm never counting one of your sins against you again. We talked about Peter about a couple months ago. You remember Peter? G- Peter was there when Jesus said out loud, if you deny me before men, I will deny you before who? Before God. You deny me before men, I'll deny you before God. 
And at that time, that must have been a heavy thing to say because they all knew the Jews want to kill him. The, the, the Romans are watching him. Everyone wants to kill him. And we're following him. And now he tells me if I deny him, he's going to deny me before God. <laughs> That's a heavy statement. And so on the night he's betrayed, Peter says, I'll follow you. I don't care if all these leave you. I will never leave you. I'll follow you to the end. And so Peter's following him. And then on the night of his betrayal, they're standing there. They're, they're hitting him. They're beating him. He's probably got a black eye already. And they say, well, weren't you one of his followers? And Peter says, I don't know him. <laughs> then someone else says, no, no, no. I know you. I saw you with him. And Peter starts cussing and swearing. I won't do that. But he starts cussing and swearing. He's, I, I, I don't know him. And finally, someone says, no, 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 I saw you with him. And Peter's cussing and swearing. I'm telling you, I don't know him. Then he looks up and the rooster crows and he sees Jesus. So now what is Peter's reality? He'll deny me before God. He runs off crying into the darkness. But what did Jesus do? Righteousness is not what Peter did. Righteousness is Jesus saying, I'm not counting your sins against you. And it's not saying one day in heaven, I won't count your sins. But right now. No, no, no. The word impute is a present tense. I will not presently count anything you do right now against you. I'll still be good to you. And what did Jesus do when he was resurrected? He shows up on the beach. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. He shows up on the beach and he calls all of them to come close. And while everyone's sitting around at the fire, he says, Peter, do you love me? Three times. Reinstating him, giving him back his position. And not just giving him back his position. On the day of Pentecost, Peter stood up and said, you crucified the Christ. You rejected him. You denied him. Knowing that he did it just a while ago. And 3,000 people get saved. Are you with me? This is God saying, I want to protect you. I want to preserve you. I want to make you attractive. I want to cover you with gold. Your sins, I'm telling you, I'm going to put them so far away. No one's going to see it. They're going to have to see the gold on you before they can even find out there's wood in you. Are you with me? I'm telling you, oh man, you are a wooden board overlaid with gold. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. Now, let me show you what happens. How does he do this for all of us? Can I show you two more verses? Two more verses and I'll close with this. Two more, not two more verses, two more passages. You know me better. Two more passages. John chapter 18, I'll read through this. I just want to show you this is really cool. John chapter 18, verse 1. Jesus has just left the upper room. He's not stood in front of Pilate yet to be judged. So he's gone to the Garden of Gethsemane. And while he's in Gethsemane, he says, When Jesus had spoken these words to his disciples, he went out with his disciples over the brook Kidron, where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. Our hotel, Mount Zion, when you go to Israel, your hotel on Mount Zion is actually on one side of the brook Kidron. They call it the Kidron Valley because there's no brook there anymore. But the Kidron Valley is actually, uh, you stay on one side of it, and the valley comes up to the other side where the city of Jerusalem was. So anyways... It says, and Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. Then Judas, having received a detachment of troops and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, came there with lanterns, torches, and weapons. Jesus never used a weapon before, but Judas is prepared. (laughs) Anyways, verse 4, Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that would come upon him. Look at that phrase. He he did what? He went forward. And said to them, who are you seeking? Now, I put this in gold. The rest of it we'll read just for context. But I want you to see this. Jesus, therefore, knowing that all things would come upon him, he went forward. Some translations say he stepped forward. When I went back to the Greek, it literally means he was among them. He stepped out from among them in front of them. Now, why am I telling you that? If you were wood overlaid with gold, the gold is in front of you. The gold is in front. The gold is behind. The gold covers you from head to toe. No one sees wood. They only see gold. Jesus knew. He saw the torches. He heard them coming. He knew what was about to come to him. 
but he didn't want them to make a mistake and get the wrong ones. He stood up in front of them. I'm telling you, Jesus wasn't killed. Jesus laid his life down for all of us. And whatever, whatever is coming against you, Jesus stands up in front of you and says, you want to get to Matthew? You got to get through me. Well, what about all this that I'm feeling and all that that's going on? Let me say this, lying symptoms in the name of Jesus. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. You want to get to Matthew? You got to get through me. Are you with me? He stepped forward. I know it says went forward in the New King James, but even some of the better translations say he stepped forward. And then he said to them, who are you seeking? Now look at the rest of this. They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am. He is in italics. He probably did it just to be funny. I am. And Judas, who betrayed him, also stood with them. Now, when he said to them, I am, they drew back and fell to the ground. Because <laughs> he said, he said the name of God. They said, Mo- Moses said, God, who do I tell them is sending me when I go to Egypt to, release, to, to free your people? God said, Moses, tell them I am. Then he asked them again, whom are you seeking? So what did he do? He said, I am. They all fall under the power of God. Remember those services when I was a kid? I remember those services. People fall under the power of God and they'd be off for minutes. Sometimes, you know, a little bit longer. Imagine that. People fall out under the power of God and the disciples sitting there going, what do we do? <laughs> and Jesus says, hold on, guys. Wait a second. Give them a minute. Then he says to them again, probably while they're getting up, who are you seeking? They said, Jesus of Nazareth. If it had been me, I would have been like, I am again. But, you know, he didn't do it. Jesus answered and said, I've told you that I am. Therefore, if you seek me, let these go their way. Oh, man. I'm telling you, this is, this is Jesus saying, I'm protecting you. This is Jesus saying, I'm preserving you. Preserving the Hebrew is the word chava, literally the word chava. And chava literally is the word for life. You know, um, on bar mitzvahs or bat mitzvahs, even at weddings, when, when Jewish people get married, they, um, now I can't remember the word. But anyways, they sing this song, but they use the same word, life, life, life. They sing life, they literally sing life over the, the, the couple that's getting married. When you um, are bat mitzvah, bar mitzvah, they literally say the same word. They're pronouncing life over you. They're always saying life. They use that word a lot, chava, chava. Literally, the word preserve in the Hebrew is the same word, life. So when he's saying I'm protecting you, it means I'm defending you, but I'm also giving you life. I'm giving you life. Gold flows into the pores of the wood, meaning I'm giving you life. You know, wood over time will split and break. But when you put gold, when you pour gold over it, the wood can never break again. As much as the gold can't break, the wood can't break either. So he's preserving all of us. Then he says, verse 9, that the saying might be fulfilled of which he spoke. I'm sorry, uh, might be fulfilled, which he spoke of those whom you gave me. I have lost none. Now, I say this by the grace of God. May we lose no one else to sickness or disease in this church. May we lose no one else to, to poverty or any other thing. May no one else be lost in this church in the name of Jesus. Now, let me show you this real quick and I'll close with this. Jeremiah 23. Jeremiah 23 and I'll stop. Have you been blessed? Jeremiah 23, and we'll quit. We'll stop with this. In Jeremiah 23, now I'm coming to verse 5 and 6, but I had to put the verses before because this just speaks volumes to me. Jeremiah 23, verse 1. The Lord is speaking through the mouth of Jeremiah, and he says this, Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, says the Lord. Let me say this. We've all at some point seen something of that nature happen. We're not here to call out names or point at any ministries. By the grace of God, may this never be one of those. Amen. But we've all seen it happen at some point. A shepherd or a pastor, all right, scatters God's people instead of bringing them back to the fold. Are you with me? So God says, woe to them who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, says the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of Israel against the shepherds who feed my people. 
They claim that they're feeding God's people. You have scattered my flock. You've driven them away and not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for the evil of your doing, says the Lord. Let me say this. <laughs> I know we've all had someone at some point that we didn't like. You're better off not saying anything. David apologized to Saul for cutting even the hem of his garment. All right. We all have the, that path, that one pastor we just can't stand. Let me say this by the grace of God. Let the Lord attend to them. You don't worry about it. Let it go. Verse three, God says, but I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I've driven them and bring them back to their folds. They shall be fruitful and increase. Not you will gather them. God says, I will gather them. I will gather them. Trust the Lord knows how to gather better than we do. Trust that the Lord knows how to get our children, knows how to get our friends, knows how to get our family. Trust that he knows how to find his flock and how to bring his flock back into the fold better than we do. And everyone said, Amen. Verse four, I will set up the she- I will set up shepherds over them who will feed them. And may this may I be one of those in the name of Jesus. I will set up shepherds over them who will feed them. Now watch this. Four things happen. Who will feed them and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed. Literally means they'll be broken anymore. Nor shall they be lacking, says the Lord. Four things should happen if you're in a church that's preaching the right things. Are you with me? Number one, you should be fed. When you walk out, you should have something to go, man, that was good. I need to hold on to this for a while. You should be fed. The second thing that should happen in a church or a place you should be in is you should walk out without fear. Now, how does that happen? Perfect love cast out fear. If you walk out knowing God loves you, then I think I think I think I did my job, hopefully. Right. <laughs> they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed, broken. If you came in broken by the grace of God, God will put you back together. And then what? Nor shall they be lacking any area you're lacking in. God is going to begin to fill it and literally overfill it. Like we said, may the Lord, the blessings of the Lord overtake you. So then we come to verse five. Now, let me close with this five and six. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. Now, I'll put branch in gold. I'm closing. I'll put branch in gold. You know why? Because the wood that's used to make the Ark of the Covenant is the same wood God says used to make standing boards. I didn't know that. I had to go study it out. I found out it's the same thing. In other words, the reason why I said it is this. Why does God call him a branch? A branch speaks of a tree. Are you with me? The same tree that makes up Jesus, the picture of Jesus, is the same tree that makes up the picture of you and me. God says, as Jesus is, so are you in this world. As you are wood overlaid with gold in the house of God, so also Jesus is wood, wooden box, overlaid with gold on the outside and on the inside. A branch of righteousness. What's he saying? Hey, the wood. (laughs) Man, when I saw it, I got excited. A king shall reign and prosper, talking about Jesus, and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. In his days, Judah will be saved. Israel will dwell safely. Now, this is the name by which he will be called. And keep in mind, Judah will be saved. Judah, that speaks specifically to the Jews. Israel will dwell safely. You say, well, that speaks of the Jewish people. Yes, it does. But Paul said they are not all Israel who are Israel. Who are they who are the spiritual heavenly Israel? That's all of us in Christ. So literally he's saying, hey, look, the Jews will be safe and Israel will dwell safely. You won't have to be afraid anymore because righteousness will protect you. And then he says, now this is the name by which Jesus will be called the Lord our righteousness. When that is the message you're hearing, though, that's what will happen. When you are hearing Jesus is my righteousness, that's what will happen. You see, our job is not to say, what, are we, what, what can we do this week? What can we do? Now, let me say this. He's given us some things we can do. We can pray in the spirit. We can take the communion. 
We can do these things. We can come together and pray together, which we should be doing more of. We can do these things. But what's the greatest thing we can do? The greatest thing I believe we can do? I want to see more of Jesus. I want to see more of Jesus. I want to open my Bible and say, show me more of Jesus. Because when I see him, I'm seeing the Lord, my righteousness. When I see Jesus, Jesus is showing me, I'm not counting one of your sins against you. Oh, man. Oh, man. Oh, I want to go on. But I'm telling you, I love you too much to do that. The Lord, our righteousness. The Lord, our and he wants to protect and preserve all of us. I'm telling you, I believe by the grace of God, even as we walk out of this place, God is beginning to protect and preserve us in ways we never even thought before. Nothing builds faith better than seeing Jesus. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning, Lord, for all that you've done. We thank you, Jesus. If you could this morning in the last few minutes of this, if you could just, if you would um, just lift your hand. Thanks for listening to Center Church Podcast. We trust that you've been blessed. If you'd like to receive more of our content in the future, you can email us at centercharlotte at gmail.com or just visit our website at centercharlotte.org. Thanks for tuning in and may God's grace cover you in every area of your life.